perspective for us is it's going to be all about finding joy and hope in the midst of grief. Because the disciples are going through a grieving time right now. I mean, they've just got all this news dropped on them. All of a sudden, they thought Jesus was going to be this ruler that was going to lead them to glory in the mountain of God. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up at this supper and says, hey... I'm leaving, guys. <laughs> good luck. I'll see y'all. You know, I'm sending another comforter, and it's going to be good. So they're all, they're all. The, the the whole thing, in a nutshell, is that what he's going to tell them is that their joy is going to be found in Christ. Their strength, their power is going to be found in Him and what He's about to do. And the the end it all up. The very last verse in this chapter, he says that in this world you will have tr- trials and tribulations, but but I have overcome the world. And so that's how he's going to end. Um, that's how he's going to end the, the chapter. So I guess let's just start reading. Verse 16. Mm, yes, there it is. He says, he says, a little while and you shall not see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me because I go to the Father. Then some of the disciples among themselves... Then said some of the disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us a little while, and ye shall not see me? And again a little while, and you shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They said therefore, What is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he's saying. So they're confused. They have no idea what's going on. They're distressed about him saying, you know... uh, they just don't understand what was going on. What do you think Jesus meant when he said, in a little while you won't see me, but then in a little while you will see me? Well, because he's going to die, but he's going to be resurrected. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And so, but they haven't got a clue yet. And but it's always been strange to me because they should have had a clue because he told them like four, at least five or six times, I'm going to die and in three days I'm going to rise. So, all of a sudden, you want to say something? Well, I just want to know why he didn't just come right out and say Come right out and say what? I'm going to die. But that's what I'm saying. He did say it earlier in the gospel. He told them specifically. And in the gospel of Luke and Matthew, he told them, you know, plainly. He said, I'm going to die in three days rise again. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. But I mean, honestly, if we were told something like that, we would be like, oh, I mean, it would be hard for us to wrap our head around something like that. Well, yeah. I mean, rising from the dead is not something that happens. I mean, I know they saw him perform a miracle on Lazarus, but, you know, Jesus was fully, you know, in their mind, he was right there to do it. Mm -hmm. But to be able to do it to your, you know, to do it to your own self, so to speak, that that puts it on a whole other level. Mm -hmm. Because they're, they're, they're human. I mean, they're with... Minds like ours with, you know, we believe you as much as we can see. And that's why they were at. I feel. That's my opinion. Yeah. That's not biblical. Sounds good to me. They were definitely in it. You want to say something? No, I mean, it goes back, I think it goes back to what you said earlier is that um, the, the Jewish people, it goes contrary to everything that's been ingrained in them from day one. Yeah. Know, and, that's why I should have told them over and over again. They don't listen to us. No, they don't. And that they, they we have that in common with them. We we don't listen very well. What'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's easy to we got the whole story and we're we've been from day one, we've been most of us have been 
raised, at least hearing the gospel story, maybe not raised in church or believing, but at least knowing about the story, knowing what Jesus did. But for them, there was no such thing as resurrection from the dead. For them, the resurrection meant everybody gets raised all at one time at the end. See what I mean? For someone to be raised like he raised Lazarus, was that was just unheard of. It was a novelty. So when he said, I will be raised from the dead, you know, they, they probably were thinking, yeah, well, you know, so will I. You know, we'll all be raised from the dead. That's what he, Martha said when he raised Lazarus. Yeah, I know, that, I know he'll be raised in the resurrection. Right. And so they didn't understand. And what he's going to do is he's going to teach them that joy and hope are found in him. Not in the events that are going on around them. Right now they're fearful. Right now they're, they've misunderstood everything. They're, they're questioning themselves about what Jesus said and what he meant. And I don't understand these things. And, and so what he's going to show them is that the joy that you have. And when I say joy, I'm talking about the relationship with God that you have. The peace of knowing that everything's going to be okay. That God is watching out for us. That God is working all things according to the purpose of his will. That peace comes from having a relationship with Christ. Comes from the peace of having a relationship with the Father. It doesn't come from the circumstances that are going on around. Because as far as their circumstances are concerned, it's not looking too good. So he's going to explain to them. In verse 19 he says, Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do you inquire amongst yourselves of that I said a little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while you shall see me? And then here's where he teaches. He said... This is where he's showing them that grief will end in joy. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned to joy. And then he compares it. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow when she's given birth because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. He says, you're going to have sorrow. You're going to have trouble. He said, but your trouble and your sorrow will be turned to joy. It's just like a woman having childbirth is what he compares it to. In the midst of childbirth, it's pain and it's, you know, it's... I hate you. How could you do this to me? But when the baby's born, you're like, you know, it's all worth it. You know, it's... See what I mean? I mean, except except for my mama. (laughs) But that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, you are going to... You're going to go through tribulation and sorrow. It's instructive to me that he didn't... He didn't just come out like Valerie said. He didn't come out and just... Give them the okay. This is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. And to soothe their minds, to bring them at ease, he instructed them to have faith in who he was and what he was saying. He didn't, you know, if God were to tell me, okay, Jason, this is going to happen today, then tomorrow, then the next day, and then three weeks from now, it's going to be wonderful. I wouldn't need faith, would I? Because I would have it written out for me. You know, it's the same thing going on with the, you know, right now, everybody's freaking out over the Supreme Court thing. You know, it's an evil, wicked thing. There's no doubt about it, you know. But we, our God is still the same God as He was yesterday, you know. And the, the world's still just as wicked today as it was yesterday. Nothing's changed, you know. I mean, it's, it's God is still going to win. God's still going to end he up winning. Huh? He still owns it. Yes. Yes? Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say something. 
He teaches that joy and hope is in Him. Verse 20 and 21. Okay, we just read those. Jesus' death, when He dies, the world will rejoice. Right now, the world's rejoicing. Right now, in our life, the world is rejoicing because of all the events that have happened in the past week. The world's rejoicing. It's all great. Everything's wonderful. They're having a great time. And right now, we're weeping and lamenting. The same thing was going on at that day. When Jesus, when they, you know, the Pharisees were like, we're going to get rid of this guy. This guy is talking about Jesus. He's causing trouble. He's making our lives miserable. He's rocking the religious boat that we're, you know, trying to keep afloat here. And so we're just going to get rid of him. And when they got rid of him, when they crucified him, they were just ecstatic. It's a great day. It's a great day to be alive because Jesus is gone. He's not going to bother us anymore. We don't have to worry about it anymore. But the reality was that when Jesus rose from the dead, it was the world that was lamenting and was the believers that were rejoicing. Now, I think ultimately he's pointing right here, not just to the resurrection, but also to the spirits coming. See what I mean? When he says, uh, where are we at? 22 says, and you, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy. No man shall take away from you. He says, we're going to have, we're going to have a permanent joy. When I see you again, your joy, no one can take from you. So governments can't take your joy from you. Uh, Neighbors can't take your joy from you. People who mistreat you can't take your joy from you. Things, you know, people, you can pick, pick whatever it is you want. They cannot take your joy from you. Jesus says, when I see you again, nobody's going to take your joy. It'll be permanent. See what I mean? Y'all with me? It'll be a permanent joy. And I think ultimately he's talking about when he's raised from the dead, for sure. But I think ultimately, we're going to see this here in a minute, is that he's talking about when the Spirit comes. When the Spirit comes, until the Spirit came, they were like scared disciples hiding in the room, you know, hoping that the Romans didn't come kill them. You know, they, they were just, you know, frightened little students. Wow. <laughs> and then after the Spirit came, they were fearless apostles of Christ. And they were preaching no matter what. Even when the authorities said, hey, you can't do that. They said, well, whether we can or can't, it's up to you to judge. But we can't help but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. And so what it shows us here is they were looking forward to the time when they would have a permanent joy that no one could take from them. Jesus is telling them there's coming a day when no one will be able to take the joy. But we, we have that now. Does that make sense? Yes, we're still looking for the day when Christ comes and there won't be any more sin, there won't be any more sorrow. We're still waiting for all that to be perfected. But we have the Holy Spirit in us now. Whereas they were waiting for Pentecost to come when the Holy Spirit came. So we have the perfect relationship with God right now. We have the means by which joy comes even in the midst of all this mess that's going on in the world. All these things going on in the world. We can have joy and we can have peace knowing that that we're God's children and that He watches out for His children. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? So, the rest of the chapter, I think, is Jesus explaining the source of our joy. Okay? The source of, He says, I'm going to, when you see me again, you're going to have joy 
and no one's going to be able to take your joy. And then he's going to explain to them where that joy comes from. Good? You need me to clean next something? Okay. Um, source of joy. I think the first is the access to the Father. You don't have access to the Father without Christ. You remember me and Miss Barbara were talking about that earlier, that when you walked into the, the veil of the Holy of Holies, you know, you, you all know that we've talked about how you had to tie a rope around your ankle. You would die if, you're, if you had sin in your life and you walked into God's presence. You would die. They'd have to pull you out by the rope. Uh, there was fear going in. Uh, because of what Jesus did, we're not gonna have to, we don't have to worry about having access to the Father. We can come to the throne of grace boldly. This is what Miss Barbara was telling me earlier. Was that talking about coming to the throne of grace boldly. Let's read 23 and 24. It says, And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I was thus. And ye in that day, in that day, I think, is the coming of the Spirit. In that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. What do you think that means? Let me read 24 with it. It says, 23 says, In that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever ye, whosoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Up to this point is what hitherto means. You've asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. That's where we get the, that's where he's talking about joy. What does it mean to say in that day, talking about when the Spirit comes and the Spirit lives inside of you, you'll ask me nothing but you will ask the Father in my name. What do you think it means? He's giving them access to the Holy God. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. At that point. And I still don't think they understand it. Oh, no. And he's revealing the doctrine of the Trinity to them. But just like it's, a, it's confusing for so many people now, he, he doesn't just come out and say, Hey, guys, there's a Trinity and Father, Son, Holy... You know, he's revealing it to them little by little. So as the Spirit comes, they'll know that they ask the fa- they have the Father, they have the Son, and then when the Spirit comes, they have the Spirit. They know that the, there is Father, Son, and Spirit. So right now, they're students of a rabbi. This is what they're thinking. Okay, This rabbi here, Jesus, is teaching us about God, teaching us how to follow God, teaching us what God is like. Um, but Jesus is telling them, I'm not here to show you the way. I'm here to be the way for you. So in that day when the Spirit comes and you come through my death and resurrection, you won't need me to show you the way to God. You will have direct access to the Father. You will be able to walk right into His presence and ask what you will as long as you ask in my name. You see, He's saying you have to come to the Father through the Son. As long as you come to the Father through the Son, you have access. You have relationship with the Father. See, the disciples are saying, they're, they're, they're hoping if you were a Jewish man following a rabbi, then you, the rabbi was showing you how to get to God. And most often it was through works, you know, doing good works, doing this. He was showing you the way to God, showing you the way to be right before God and to have relationship with God. And here Jesus says, look, I'm leaving. 
and I'm going to make the way for you. And in that day, you're going to be able to go right to God yourself. You're going to have a personal relationship with the Father, and you're going to be able to talk to Him your own self in my name because I'm going to go to the cross. Does that make sense? But they'll have to, they have to accept the Holy Spirit. They can't. He's making the way that they have to accept it before they actually. Well, yeah, the salvation is, you definitely have to accept it. It's not going to knock you in the head. And I see where coming from. It wasn't just because they were the disciples. It was like, okay, you don't have to do what everybody in the world is going to have to do. You know, they, they still had to do that. They had to come in faith. They had to believe. And they had to recognize their sin. Oh, yeah. Have a repentant heart and, and have that calling by God. It wasn't just because, you know, even though Jesus picked them as his disciples, they didn't get up. Free, free ride. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all kind of got well, I know, free ride. But you see what I'm saying? Yeah. No, they can't. The, the point of the, were not special exceptions were not made for just. No, the point of the passage is that we're all in the same boat. Right. We're just like the disciples. We can go right to the Father in the name of Christ. Does that make sense? He's telling them. He's showing them what's going to happen and he's saying that I am opening up a door for you to be with the Father. And that is the same door that we go through. It's not that they're, you know, they didn't get a special, they didn't have the special disciple lane and we're stuck in the slow lane. Looks you know? like he's giving them a preview of what's going to happen when that veil gets torn. Right. That's exactly right. He's saying you're going to have, now think of it with the first century Jewish mindset. You know, you walk into the veil and you die. You know what I mean? Nobody. The high priest can't... Listen, nobody goes into that room, period, ever, except for one time a year, and there's only one man that can go into that room. You understand what I mean? I mean, they're not going in there dusting and playing the floor and all that. Nobody goes into that room except for one time a year, and it's only one appointed man that's allowed to go into that room. And if he has sin in his life, when he walks into that room, he dies. So here Jesus is telling them, look, you're going to be able to go right into the Father and ask. You're going to be able to ask in my name. For, so for them, it's like, whoa, we're going to get to, I mean, nobody goes right into the Father. I mean, he's saying you're going to be able to go in my name. Does that make sense? Question. Uh, yes. Is this kind of where the Catholics get their belief, or the earlier Catholics that always felt like they had to go through their rabbi or their priest or whatever the situation was to confess their sins because they couldn't go directly to God? I don't think it's from this passage, but I know that they did, they did and still do believe that way. They, uh, I don't know. I have to check that out. Yeah. So, so was my father. Everybody in my extended family is Catholic. So I, I, I know the whole, I know the deal. I don't know if it's from this passage, though. Yeah. Well, I would say that this passage is a good argument against the the priest thing. Really, um, I don't know. I'd have to look. I'd have to look. But one thing that you know, I, when you're reading all this, that keeps coming back to me is, you know, in the first century Jewish culture, you know, going into that room. One for me, it would have taken a lot of guts, but more than that, a lot of reverence. And I don't think, I think we have been, we've become so used to it, kind of numbed, that we don't, we don't have reverence. Like, like we need to, you know, this is a holy God that we approach with, yeah. you know, with our request. And even though he says to come boldly to be made known, we don't, it's just going, you know, 
Almighty God. Instead of, you know, this is... Jesus is my homeboy. Right. Instead of, this is my Savior. This is... Yeah. We were just talking about that. Me and Barbara were just talking about that. But, I mean, yeah. you know, where's that reference in our hearts now? Because it's in our hearts that we show in our lives. You know, and you don't see that anymore. Yeah. We take for granted what's closest to us always. Absolutely. Whether it be our wives, husbands, fathers, mothers, whatever. If you get comfortable enough, you, you take it for granted. And that's that's part of our sinful nature. You see that often people taking Jesus for granted. Well, God will forgive me. Well, you know, here I go again. Um, you know, I, I'm doing this again. God will forgive me. Well, I'd hate to be that man on Judgment Day to stand before God and have just be, be rough. All right, so... We're going to have, verse 25 says, These things I have spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh the, when I shall no more speak to you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. How will He show them plainly? He's saying, I'm kind of telling you these things in parables. And not really just coming right out and telling you. Because there's coming a day that I'm going to show you. I'm going to demonstrate to you what I'm talking about. What do you think he meant? He appears to them after the resurrection. Yeah, when he dies and when he rises again. He says, I'm going to show you. He's going to demonstrate who the Father is. And they'll have direct relationship with the Father. Verse 26 says, At that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. It says, For the Father Himself loveth you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. What is He saying there? Does Jesus say, well, you, you can ask me all you want to, but I'm not going to pray for you. I mean, that's not necessarily what He's going to say. In fact, in the very next chapter, the whole chapter is Jesus praying for us. But what He's saying is, look, I'm making a way for you to come directly to the Father. I am. Remember the circle I drew on the board that had Father, Son, Holy Spirit in it, and they were in relationship. The Father was with Son before eternity, uh, before creation, and then all of a sudden, man fell. God created us to be in relationship with Him, and man fell, and so Jesus came and got us and brought us back into that relationship. Remember, He's saying, "This is what I'm here for." That's what Jesus is saying. In that day, when the Spirit comes. You won't have to. Uh, you, this is a little tricky. You won't. You won't need a human mediator anymore, because I will have mediated it for you once and for all. So you don't want to say that we don't need a mediator because Jesus is our mediator. Okay, so He is the one that mediates before us. He's the one that steps in and bridges the gap between us and God. But we don't need one that is a continual, like Miss Barbara was saying, a, a priest to say, I need to go through Him, I need to go through Him, because that has been done once and for all. Jesus says, you won't need to come and... Talk to me and then let me pray for you to the Father like I was uh, some kind of priest or some kind of deal like that. Because the priestly work that I'm doing is done once and for all. And it has ripped the veil and opened the door for you to come straight into the Father yourself and have a relationship with God. Does that make sense? There could be a little confusion there about saying, well, Jesus said he's not our mediator. But the reality is he's saying you don't need a continuous mediator because I've done it once and for all. See what I mean? Y'all with me? Okay. Any questions, comments? You'll be loved by God. Why? The Father will love you because... You may love Jesus. Because you love Jesus. You can't come to the Father except through the Son. 
Now, here's where it gets tricky. This is I spent too much time getting to this point. I got 15 minutes. This is going to be most instructive for us right here. It's easy for us to think that we earn God's favor by our devotion. If I'm more devoted to God, I get more blessing. If I'm more, you know, I have to I have to work my way up the devotion to God scale. And Jesus is going to tell them that is not how you come to the Father. You come to the Father through me and only through me. Look what he says in verse 28. He's going to just come flat out and say that I am from God. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world again. And I leave the world and go to the Father. So he is saying, okay, look guys, I am, I am God. I am deity. I'm divine. I came from the Father and I'm going back to the Father. I'm not just a rabbi that's leading you to the Father. I am one who actually came down from the Father and now I'm leading you back to the Father. I've come uh, and, and here's where they seem to understand. It seems like something clicks in their mind right here. It says, verse 29 says, His disciples said unto them, Lo, now speakest thou plainly. He says, finally. You speaking plainly. Speaking no proverb. Verse 30 says, Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and need not that any man should ask thee, but this we believe that thou came forth from God. So it looks like, doesn't it, that they're saying, finally, finally you're saying something we can understand. Now we we know that you came from God. Now we know that you're not just a man. Now we know that you are God and you are the you are the you know the Alpha and the Omega. You are the one. And now we know, we understand what you're trying to tell us. And you would think in this moment that, that they're professing Christ. What are they what don't they have yet? What are they still waiting on? They don't have the Holy Spirit yet, not in the way that believers will have after the cross. So can a person come to a full saving knowledge of Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit? No. Not in not in the way that, that we do that we do after the cross. Okay? So Jesus, you would expect him to go, You got it, fellas. You got it. You finally understand. But that's not what he does. They say, We believe in you, and Jesus basically tells them, You guys are just professing what you know. He says, You you won't truly believe until later. He says, Look, he says, they just said, you know what, you are the one, we believe you. Now we know that you know all things and need not that many man, any man should ask of you. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Verse 32, he says, behold, the hour comes, yea, now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. He says, yes, okay, you guys think you got it, but here in just a couple hours... Y'all are all going to deny me. You're all going to go home. You're all going to, you know, the reality is it's not about, it's not about the sincerity of your belief. It's not about how much you are devoted. It's not about how much, you know, love you can muster up in and of yourself. It's about me. It's about your trusting in me. It's not about how much faith you have. It's about where your faith is at. Does that make sense? So you say, you know what, I just don't know if I have enough faith. I can tell you that you don't have enough faith. Not to be saved, you don't. Uh, there was, there's been people that come talk to me and say, I just don't know if I've repented enough. Guess what? You haven't. The, the point is not how much faith and repentance you have. The point is who your faith is in. Our faith is not a perfect faith. It's a faith in a perfect Messiah. It's a faith in a perfect God. And so think of it this way. 
Now this is open to a little confusion here, so make sure you hear what I'm saying. Your faith doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Does that make sense? Now Jesus saves you through faith, by grace through faith. But it's not your faith. You can't trust in your faith. You have to trust in Jesus. See what I mean? That's hard to do. Because you're thinking, do I have enough faith? Do I have enough, you know, am I whatever? The reality is we're not trusting in anything of ourselves. We're trusting in somebody else. We're trusting in Jesus. They say, okay, now, Jesus, we understand that you are the one. You're the one that's come from God. We know that you know all things and that you don't need anybody to ask you anything. You've got it. And he said, do you really believe? He said, man, just in a couple of hours, y'all are going to be scattered. So the reality is, Jesus is telling them, you really don't understand yet, but you will. You will when the Spirit comes and the Spirit fills you and you become, you become new creatures with new hearts that beat for me. You will understand. And that's what we have today. We have, when God saved you, He put the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit, He made you a new creature. With me? Okay. Where are we at? Last one. Oh, in the bottom of 32. I think that the last part of verse 32 is instructive for what he's been telling them all through the last part of this chapter. Because he's told them over and over again, you're going to have access to the Father. You're going to be in relationship with the Father. You're going to be able to go right in and speak with the Father. You're going to be in uh, perfect intimacy with the Father. And Jesus says in the last part of 32, He says, y'all are all going to scatter and leave me alone. He said, but I'm not alone. Who's going to be with me? The Father's going to be with me. The same comfort that Jesus had as He went through the trial and the tribulation of the cross is the comfort that we're going to have when we go through our trials and our tribulations. Jesus said, you know, your joy, you're not going to get your joy in the world. You're not going to get your joy in circumstances. You're going to get your joy in your access to the Father, in your relationship with the Father. And then Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. He didn't actually say this, but he's going through. He says, you guys are going to leave me. You're going to scatter. I'm going to be left alone to face all this by myself. He said, but the only comfort I'm going to have is my Father's going to be with me. My Father's going to be with me. And that's the same comfort that we have today. That the Father's with us. Uh, peace and courage. Verse 33, last verse. says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Where does our peace come from? In me. That's what he says. In Christ. These things I have spoken to you. I didn't tell you you were going to scatter just to make you feel bad. I didn't tell you that you don't really understand just to make you feel dumb. I didn't tell you all these things to make you just wish that something else would happen. I told you all this so that your peace would be in me, not in your circumstances. I told you all this so that your peace would be in me when they come hunt you down and try to kill you. I told you all this that your peace would be in me when the government makes laws against you. Uh, I told you all this so that your peace would be in me when all hell breaks loose against your family, against your life, against your... He says, I've told you this so your peace would be in me. In me you have peace, and that's the only place you have peace. And it says, the last thing says, but be of good cheer, be of good courage. Be, don't, don't worry, be happy, be of good cheer. <laughs> I, have, I have overcome, oh no, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
Who has overcome the world? Jesus. Jesus overcome the world. And in Him we have peace because He has overcome the world. Understand? Any questions, comments? When he says he has overcome the world, I think, you know, when me and my kids have had a Bible study, you know, Cole gets it in his head, the superhero, you know, da-da-da-da. And, and I think some people really have that vision, but when he says I've overcome the world, he means I have overcome sin. I've overcome the nature. Well, I've overcome Satan and... All, all our enemies. enemies. All our enemies. All enemies. This morning in the earth service, I told a story about this. I, don't, I wish I could remember. It was some war in Europe. I wish I could remember when it was. But anyway, the, they surrounded, the enemies surrounded the city and seized it. Didn't let anything in or out. And uh, a messenger from the friendly army that was two countries over got through the line and got into the city and told them that the war was over, that the treaties had been signed and that everything was, it was all good, uh, but yet they were still under siege from this army. And he said, all you got to do is hold on. The war is over. The treaties have been signed. This is all going to end very soon. All you have to do is hold on. And so that's where we are in this world is that the war is over. The war has been won. It's been overcome. All we have to do is hold on until the final victory. So, I mean, a friend of mine does these reconstructions, you know, not reconstructions. Reenactments. Reenactments, yeah. And uh, last December, he went down to New Orleans and did the Battle of New Orleans. He was on the on the Confederate side or whatever. And uh, one of the interesting things about that battle was in the War of 1812, that battle was fought after the war was over. Uh, and the War of 1812 ended the British and Americans... Uh, signed signed a treaty, and then in 1814 is when the Battle of New Orleans was fought. The word hadn't got there yet. You know, they didn't have telegraph, telephone, everything traveled by boat. You know what I mean? The word hadn't got there. That, hey, the war's over, and so all these guys are fighting one of the bloodiest battles in War uh, of 1812 was fought after that war was over. And so the reality is that our war is over. Jesus has overcome the world. All we have to do is hold on. All we have to do is hold on and trust in Him and our peace and joy comes from Him. Make sense? I wonder if those Supreme Court justices are sitting in the church service today. Hmm. I doubt it very seriously.